The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. The Lady with the Hatchet. One of the most incomprehensible incidents that preceded the Great War was certainly the one which was known as the episode of the Lady with the Hatchet. The solution of the mystery was unknown, and would never have been known had not circumstances in the cruelest fashion obliged Prince Renin, or should I say Arsène Lupin, to take up the matter, and had I not been able today to tell the true story from the details supplied by him. Let me recite the facts. In a space of eighteen months, five women disappeared, five women of different stations in life, all between twenty and thirty years of age and living in Paris or the Paris district. I will give their names. Madame Ladoux, the wife of a doctor, Mademoiselle Ardan, the daughter of a banker, Mademoiselle Covreau, a washerwoman of Courbevoie, Mademoiselle Honorine Vernisset, a dressmaker, and Madame Grolinger, an artist. These five women disappeared without the possibility of discovering a single particular to explain why they had left their homes, why they did not return to them, who had enticed them away, and where and how they were detained. Each of these women, a week after her departure, was found somewhere or other in the western outskirts of Paris, and each time it was a dead body that was found, the dead body of a woman who had been killed by a blow on the head from a hatchet. And each time, not far from the woman who was firmly bound, her face covered with blood and her body emaciated by lack of food, the marks of carriage wheels proved that the corpse had been driven to the spot. The five murders were so much alike that there was only a single investigation embracing all the five enquiries, and for that matter leading to no result. A woman disappeared, a week later to a day her body was discovered, and that was all. The bonds that fastened her were similar in each case— so were the tracks left by the wheels, so were the blows of the hatchet, all of which were struck vertically at the top and right in the middle of the forehead. The motive of the crime? The five women had been completely stripped of their jewels, purses, and other objects of value, but the robberies might well have been attributed to marauders or any passers-by, since the bodies were lying in deserted spots. Were the authorities to believe in the execution of a plan of revenge or of a plan intended to do away with the series of persons mutually connected, persons, for instance, likely to benefit by a future inheritance? Here again the same obscurity prevailed. Theories were built up, only to be demolished forthwith by an examination of the facts. Trails were followed and at once abandoned. And suddenly there was a sensation. A woman engaged in sweeping the roads picked up on the pavement a little notebook which she brought to the local police station. The leaves of this notebook were all blank, excepting one, on which was written a list of the murdered women, with their names set down in order of date and accompanied by three figures, La Doux, 132, Vernisset, 118, and so on. Certainly no importance would have been given to these entries, which anybody might have written, since everyone was acquainted with the sinister list. But instead of five names, it included six. Yes. Below the words Grolinger 128, there appeared Williamson 114. Did this indicate a sixth murder? The obviously English origin of the name limited the field of the investigations, which did not in fact take long. It was ascertained that a fortnight ago, a Miss Hermione Williamson, a governess in a family at Auteuil, had left her place to go back to England, and that, since then, her sisters, though she had written to tell them she was coming over, had heard no more of her. 
a fresh enquiry was instituted. A postman found the body in the Meudon woods. Miss Williamson's skull was split down the middle. I need not describe the public excitement at this stage, nor the shudder of horror which passed through the crowd when it read this list, written without a doubt in the murderer's own hand. What could be more frightful than such a record, kept up to date like a careful tradesman's ledger? On such a day I killed so-and-so, and such a day so-and-so. And the sum total was six dead bodies. Against all expectation, the experts in handwriting had no difficulty in agreeing, and unanimously declared that the writing was that of a woman, an educated woman, possessing artistic tastes, imagination, and an extremely sensitive nature. The lady with the hatchet, as the journalists christened her, was decidedly no ordinary person, and scores of newspaper articles made a special study of her case, exposing her mental condition and losing themselves in far-fetched explanations. Nevertheless, it was the writer of one of these articles, a young journalist whose chance discovery made him the center of public attention, who supplied the one element of truth and shed upon the darkness the only ray of light that was to penetrate it. In casting about for the meaning of the figures which followed the six names, he had come to ask himself whether those figures did not simply represent the number of the days separating one crime from the next. All that he had to do was to check the dates. He at once found that his theory was correct. Mademoiselle Vernisset had been carried off 132 days after Madame Ledoux, Mademoiselle Covreau 118 days after Honorine Vernisset, and so on. There was therefore no room for doubt, and the police had no choice but to accept a solution which so precisely fitted the circumstances, the figures corresponded with the intervals. There was no mistake in the records of the lady with the hatchet. But then one deduction became inevitable. Miss Williamson, the latest victim, had been carried off on the 26th of June last, and her name was followed by the figures 114. Was it not to be presumed that a fresh crime would be committed 114 days later, that is to say, on the 18th of October? Was it not probable that the horrible business would be repeated in accordance with the murderer's secret intentions? Were they not bound to pursue to its logical conclusion the argument which ascribed to the figures, to all the figures, to the last as well as to the others, their value as eventual dates? Now, it was precisely this deduction which was drawn and was being weighed and discussed during the few days that preceded the 18th of October, when logic demanded the performance of yet another act of the abominable tragedy. And it was only natural that, on the morning of that day, Prince Renin and Hortense, when making an appointment by telephone for the evening, should allude to the newspaper articles which they had both been reading. Look out, said Renin, laughing. If you meet the lady with the hatchet, take to the other side of the road. <laughs> and if the good lady carries me off, what am I to do? Strew your path with little white pebbles and say, until the very moment when the hatchet flashes in the air, I have nothing to fear, he will save me. He is myself, and I kiss your hands. Till this evening, my dear. That afternoon, Renine had an appointment with Rose André and Dalbrecht to arrange for their departure to the United States. Before four and seven o'clock, he brought the different editions of the evening papers. None of them reported an abduction. At nine o'clock, he went to the gymnase, where he had taken a private box. At half-past nine, as Hortense had not arrived, he rang her up, though without thought of anxiety. The maid replied that Madame Danielle had not come in yet. 
Seized with a sudden fear, Renine hurried to the furnished flat which Hortense was occupying for the time being, near the Parc Monceau, and questioned the maid, whom he had engaged for her and who was completely devoted to him. The woman said that her mistress had gone out at two o'clock, with a stamped letter in her hand, saying that she was going to the post and that she would come back to dress. This was the last that had been seen of her. To whom was the letter addressed? To you, sir. I saw the writing on the envelope. Prince Serge Renine. He waited until midnight, but in vain. Hortense did not return, nor did she return the next day. Not a word to anyone, said Renine to the maid. Say that your mistress is in the country and that you are going to join her. For his own part, he had not a doubt. Hortense's disappearance was explained by the very fact of the date, the 18th of October. She was the seventh victim of the lady with the hatchet. The abduction, said Renine to himself, precedes the blow of the hatchet by a week. I have therefore at the present moment seven full days before me. Let us say six to avoid any surprise. Today is Saturday. Hortense must be freed by midday on Friday, and to make sure of this I must know her hiding place by nine o'clock on Thursday evening at latest. Renine wrote Thursday evening, nine o'clock, in big letters, on a card which he nailed above the mantelpiece in his study. Then, at midday on Saturday, the day after the disappearance, he locked himself into the study after telling his man not to disturb him except for meals and letters. He spent four days there, almost without moving. He had immediately sent for a set of all the leading newspapers which had spoken in detail of the first six crimes. When he had read and reread them, he closed the shutters, drew the curtains, and lay down on the sofa in the dark with the door bolted, thinking. By Tuesday evening, he was no further advanced than on Saturday. The darkness was as dense as ever. He had not discovered the smallest clue for his guidance, nor could he see the slightest reason to hope. At times, notwithstanding his immense power of self-control and his unlimited confidence in the resources at his disposal, at times he would quake with anguish. Would he arrive in time? There was no reason why he should see more clearly during the last few days than during those which had already elapsed and this meant that Hortense Daniel would inevitably be murdered. The thought tortured him. He was attached to Hortense by a much stronger and deeper feeling than the appearance of the relations between them would have led an onlooker to believe. The curiosity at the beginning, the first desire, the impulse to protect Hortense, to distract her, to inspire her with a relish for existence, all this had simply turned to love. Neither of them was aware of it, because they barely saw each other save at critical times when they were occupied with the adventures of others and not with their own. But at the first onslaught of danger, Renine realized the place which Hortense had taken in his life, and he was in despair at knowing her to be a prisoner and a martyr, and at being unable to save her. He spent a feverish, agitated night, turning the case over and over from every point of view. The Wednesday morning was also a terrible time for him. He was losing ground. Giving up his hermit-like seclusion, he threw open the doors and paced to and fro through his rooms, ran out into the street and came in again, as though fleeing before the thought that obsessed him. Hortense is suffering. Hortense is in the depths. She sees the hatchet. She's calling to me. She's entreating to me. And I can do nothing. It was at five o'clock in the afternoon that, on examining the list of the six names, he received that little inward shock which is a sort of signal of the truth that is being sought for. A light shot through his mind. It was not, to be sure, that brilliant light in which every detail is made plain, but it was enough to tell him in which direction to move. His plan of campaign was formed at once. 
He sent Adolphe, his chauffeur, to the principal newspapers, with a few lines which were to appear in type among the next morning's advertisements. Adolphe was also told to go to the laundry at Courbevoie, where Mademoiselle Covreau, the second of the six victims, had been employed. On the Thursday, Renin did not stir out of doors. In the afternoon, he received several letters in reply to his advertisement. Then two telegrams arrived. Lastly, at three o'clock, there came a nomadic letter bearing the Trocadero postmark, which seemed to be what he was expecting. He turned up a directory, noted an address, Monsieur de Lourtier Vano, retired colonial governor, 47 bis, Avenue Clébert, and ran down to his car. Adolphe, 47 bis, Avenue Clébert. He was shown into a large study furnished with magnificent bookcases containing old volumes and costly bindings. Monsieur de Lourtier Vano was a man still in the prime of life, wearing a slightly grizzled beard, and, by his affable manners and genuine distinction, commanding confidence and liking. Monsieur de Lourtier, said Renin, I have ventured to call on your excellency, because I read in last year's newspapers that you used to know one of the victims of the lady with the hatchet, Honorine Vernisset. Why, of course we knew her, cried Monsieur de Lourtier. My wife used to employ her as a dressmaker by the day. Poor girl. Monsieur de Lourtier, a lady of my acquaintance has disappeared as the other six victims disappeared. What? exclaimed Monsieur de Lourtier with a start. But I followed the newspapers carefully. There was nothing on the 18th of October. Yes, a woman of whom I am very fond, Madame Hortense Daniel, was abducted on the 17th of October. And this is the 22nd? Yes, and the murder will be committed on the 24th. Horrible! Horrible! It must be prevented at all costs! And I shall perhaps succeed in preventing it, with your Excellency's assistance. But have you been to the police? No. We are faced by mysteries which are, so to speak, absolute and compact, which offer no gap through which the keenest eyes can see, and which it is useless to hope to clear up by ordinary methods, such as inspection of the scenes of the crimes, police enquiries, searching for fingerprints, and so on. As none of those proceedings served any good purpose in the previous cases, it would be a waste of time to resort to them in a seventh, similar case. An enemy who displays such skill and subtlety would not leave behind her any of those clumsy traces which are the first things that a professional detective seizes upon. Then what have you done? Before taking any action, I have reflected. I gave four days to thinking the matter over. Monsieur de Lorchevano examined his visitor closely, and with a touch of irony asked, And the result of your meditations? To begin with, said Renine, refusing to be put out of countenance, I have submitted all these cases to a comprehensive survey, which hitherto no one else had done. This enabled me to discover their general meaning, to put aside all the tangle of embarrassing theories, and, since no one was able to agree as to the motives of all this filthy business, to attribute it to the only class of persons capable of it. That is to say, lunatics, Your Excellency. Monsieur de Lortier Vano started. Lunatics? What an idea! Monsieur de Lortier, the woman known as the lady with the hatchet is a madwoman. But she would be locked up. We don't know that she's not. We don't know that she's not one of those half-mad people, apparently harmless, who are watched so slightly that they have full scope to indulge their little manias, their wild beast instincts. Nothing could be more treacherous than these creatures. Nothing could be more crafty, more patient, more persistent, more dangerous, and at the same time more absurd and more logical, more slovenly and more methodical. 
All these epithets, Monsieur de Lortier, may be applied to the doings of the lady with the hatchet. The obsession of an idea and the continual repetition of an act are characteristics of the maniac. I do not yet know the idea by which the lady with the hatchet is obsessed, but I do know the act that results from it, and it is always the same. I do not yet know the idea by which the lady with the hatchet is obsessed, but I do know the act that results from it, and it is always the same. The victim is bound with precisely similar ropes. She is killed after the same number of days. She is struck by an identical blow with the same instrument in the same place, the middle of the forehead, producing an absolutely vertical wound. An ordinary murderer displays some variety. His trembling hand swerves aside and strikes her eye. The lady with the hatchet does not tremble. It is as though she has taken measurements, and the edge of her weapon does not swerve by a hair's breadth. Need I give you any further proofs or examine all the other details with you? Surely not. You now possess the key to the riddle, and you know as I do that only a lunatic can behave in this way, stupidly, savagely, mechanically, like a striking clock or the blade of the guillotine. Monsieur de Lortier-Vano nodded his head. Yes, that is so. One can see the whole affair from that angle, and I am beginning to believe that this is how one ought to see it. But if we admit that this madwoman has the sort of mathematical logic which governed the murders of the six victims, I see no connection between the victims themselves. She struck at random. Why this victim rather than that? Ah, said Renin, your excellency is asking me a question which I asked myself from the very first moment, the question which sums up the whole problem and which cost me so much trouble to solve. Why Hortense Daniel rather than another? Among two million women whom he might have selected, why Hortense? Why little Vernisset? Why Miss Williamson? If the affair is such as I conceive it, as a whole, that is to say, based upon the blind and fantastic logic of a madwoman, a choice was inevitably exercised. Now, in what did that choice consist? What was the quality or the defect or the sign needed to induce the lady with the hatchet to strike? In a word, if she chose, and she must have chosen, what directed her choice? Have you found the answer? Renine paused, then replied, Yes, Your Excellency, I have. And I could have found it at the very outset, since all I had to do was to make a careful examination of the list of victims. But these flashes of truth are never kindled, save in a brain overstimulated by effort and reflection. I stared at the list twenty times over before that little detail took a definite shape. I don't follow you, said Monsieur de Lortier-Vano. Monsieur de Lortier, it may be noted that if a number of persons are brought together in any transaction, or crime, or public scandal, or what not, they are almost invariably described in the same way. On this occasion, the newspapers never mentioned anything more than their surnames in speaking of Madame Ladoux, Mademoiselle Ardant, or Mademoiselle Covreau. On the other hand, Mademoiselle Vernisset and Miss Williamson were always described by their Christian names as well, Honorine and Hermione. If the same thing had been done in the case of all six victims, there would have been no mystery. Why not? Because we should at once have realized the relation existing between the six unfortunate women, as I myself suddenly realized in comparing these two Christian names with that of Hortense Daniel. You understand now, don't you? You see the three Christian names before your eyes. Monsieur de Lortier-Vano seemed to be perturbed. Turning a little pale, he said, What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, continued Renine in a clear voice, sounding each syllable separately, 
I mean that you see before your eyes three Christian names which all three begin with the same initial and which all three, by a remarkable coincidence, consist of the same number of letters as you may prove. If you inquire at the Courbevoie Laundry, where Mademoiselle Covro used to work, you will find that her name was Hilary. Here again, we have the same initial and the same number of letters. There's no need to seek any farther. We are sure, are we not, that the Christian names of all the victims offer the same peculiarities? And this gives us, with absolute certainty, the key to the problem which was set us. It explains the madwoman's choice. We now know the connection between the unfortunate victims. There can be no mistake about it. It's that and nothing else. And how this method of choosing confirms my theory. What proof of madness! Why kill these women rather than any others? Because their names begin with an H and consist of eight letters. You understand me, Monsieur de Lortier, do you not? The number of letters is eight. The initial letter is the eighth letter of the alphabet, and the word rit, eight, begins with an H. Always the letter H. And the implement used to commit the crime was a hatchet. <laughs>